Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to share a message from our supporter on the podcast, Charles Sturt University. We talk a lot about climate and environmental science on this podcast and some of the amazing work women are doing in these fields. If you're looking to learn more about this and potentially thinking about pivoting your career in this direction to help in solving complex environmental challenges, then check out the Graduate Certificate Environmental Management at Charles Sturt University. It is a short course giving you specialist knowledge about conservation, natural resources or water resources. Start now and you could be upskilled in less than six months, gaining a certificate that will provide credit towards a master's. Check out more at their website, study.csu.edu.au forward slash graduate dash certificate. Now to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. I'm Tala Lambert, the Editor-in-Chief of Women's Agenda, and I'm joined by one of our excellent journalists and the editor of the Sporty Rap, Mads Hislop, today. Mads, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. (laughs) Always good to have you. On the agenda today, we take a look at the logo fail from the PM and Cabinet's office that was so big it beggars belief, explore why Scott Morrison's got himself in a twist about Albo's glower, and look at the rise of independent female candidates like Dr Monique Ryan at the same time as other senior women in politics step down this week. Thanks for listening. First, to wins. Mads, what is your win for women this week? So this week, I'd love to talk about the NRLW. There's been a couple of exciting developments there. So the Australian Rugby League Commission announced just yesterday that there's going to be some big changes. So the players will be moving to a salary cap structure, which means they should get quite a big pay rise, about 28% on average each. And that will mean that some of the players will be able to move to a more full-time capacity, which is really massive because until now they've all been part-time. So it's great to be able to give some of them the opportunity to be able to do it full-time because it will make such a difference to the game. And then... Yeah, and then also the competition itself will be expanding. So at the moment, there's just six teams in the NRLW. Um, but by 2023, there will be eight teams and 10 teams in 2024. Oh, that's unreal. It's so nice to see as fans, and I know you and I are both quite big fans of rugby league, um, but growing up, you know, it just wasn't the norm to see the women's game and now to see so much progress in that space is just incredibly uplifting. Yeah and I feel like the NRLW has been perhaps a little bit behind some of the other sports in this area and of course this isn't perfect and there's still a lot much more to do but it's really good to see the rugby league taking some steps. Yeah it's hopefully a sign of bigger and better things to come from here. My win this week is across the world, uh, so it's not domestic, but it comes off the back of the crisis in Ukraine and Russia and and so it's a little bit more of a sombre win again for me. I know I delivered a sombre win last week as well, but I just want to draw focus to the volume of women in Ukraine who are really well, actually, Ukraine and Russia, who are really stepping up and really doing some courageous things to call time on this war and to to put themselves on the line. And this week we saw that from Marina 
Ozyanakova, who is an editor at Channel One in Russia. And she has a Ukrainian father, but she's lived in Russia for her whole life and she's been an employee of this popular Russian state-owned television station for a number of years. She ran out during a nightly news broadcast on Monday to protest against the invasion of Ukraine. And she was shouting, stop the war, no to war. The newsreader continued to read from the teleprompter (laughs) while she was was doing this, but she then held a sign and she could be heard shouting throughout the entire telecast. It is just the biggest act of bravery to put yourself out there like that, especially knowing what Putin's regime is like at the moment. And we know the aftermath of that saw her detained for 16 hours, I believe, and and she was heavily fined as well. Um, But there are fears that she will face more severe consequences from here on. But you also mentioned this week after I mean, you wrote this story for us um, on Women's Agenda, but you also shared her tweet the following day. Can you let everyone know what that was about as well? Yeah, so that tweet has since been deleted, I've noticed, but she did tweet that night and she said the night that she'd been detained and she said basically something along the lines of I don't regret it and we need to do everything we can to stop the war speaking to people in Russia. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's incredibly, incredibly brave. Yeah, and look, I really hope that she stays safe. You just never know at the moment um, and obviously there's every chance that she she won't be. But, my God, yeah, just watching that and knowing that, you know, there are thousands of people that are really, I mean, going through so much at the moment I can't even imagine she's got her father in the Ukraine, as I mentioned. And the propaganda that's kind of rolling out flagrantly across Russia at the moment, that you can't report any truth across any of their their media. So it's a really dire time and clearly there are big struggles at the moment and it just seems like Russia will stop at nothing now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on to some other stories this week and looking closer to home in politics and Mads, some would describe the Women's Network logo from the PM and Cabinet's office as a complete balls up. (laughs) (laughs) What was your take on it? Oh, I just don't know how it came into being. Um, So I'm sure everyone has seen that the Prime Minister and Cabinet Department produced a logo for the with their women's network. And there's no denying that it looks like (laughs) a penis. Like there's no denying it. And it was going across wildly on social media with everyone talking about it. And I just keep thinking, I don't know how how many hands this went through before it came. (laughs) into life but it must have been a lot and I just don't know how it happened well the the weird thing is that they did come out so the prime minister and cabinet's office came out to say we've taken it down I mean they took it down 48 hours later but they said that it had gone through quite a rigorous process of checks (laughs) from their team and I just don't know if it's the most ultimate trolling that I've ever seen in my life or they really are that stupid. I mean, what do you reckon? 
I've sort of just been picturing a couple of staffers just like having a bit of a laugh to themselves as they were putting it together or approving it. There has been talk that it is a trolling thing, but I don't know if I would necessarily go that far. I think maybe it was just a massive oversight. I mean, I don't know how they keep failing on things like this. You know, when we saw the consent video not so long ago as well, that was just their milkshake consent video. How? How do they keep getting it so wrong. And the other thing is also how much money was spent on this logo? Like was this taxpayer money spent developing this logo that has been pulled down within 48 hours? Like that seems like such a waste. Well, I mean, it has to be, right? Like, I mean, they've said that it was done internally, but even if it's done internally, you're still paying that staff member, that staff member's being paid from um, the taxpayer pocket. So, it, yeah, look, it is such a farce and it is such a distraction as well. I mean, I'm sure it's the last thing in the world uh, that Scott Morrison wants right now. But And they have said, you know, the Prime Minister wasn't privy to this logo in particular. But God, yeah, it was. I mean, I loved the the kind of response across social media to it as well. It was so swift. Everyone just jumped on the back of it. And there were some amazing, amazing memes. I saw Sarah Hansen Young's post on Twitter where she had superimposed the logo onto the Prime Minister's head, which was pretty excellent. Yeah, it was excellent. And I think like a lot of people actually initially thought it wasn't real and that it was just something, you know, that like someone like the Batuta Advocate might have thought up, but it it was actually real. I know, I know. How? How? And look, I want to talk a little bit about Scott Morrison this week because I want to talk about where his focuses were. If they weren't on that logo, which is fair enough, but they definitely weren't on the floods. Um, He wasn't focused on the war in Ukraine. He wasn't focused on any other social crises we're facing in Australia right now. He was focused on Albo's glow up. And I just thought it was the most ridiculous response um, to someone having a healthy eating regime and, and wanting to look after their health a little bit better. So what happened was Scott Morrison spoke on Sky's Paul Murray Live during the week and Paul Murray was asking him about basically Albo's new makeover, which everyone seems very obsessed over. But, I mean, really, at the end of the day, it seems like Albanese noticed that he was overweight and he wasn't healthy, he wasn't eating healthily, and he says that he was drinking too much. And that's always been his line right like he hasn't actually been like I want to be a bodybuilder so it's nothing to do with physical appearance he has lost weight because he's now living a healthier lifestyle the prime minister was asked about this anyway by Paul Murray and he said look I don't need to be someone else and he said I'm still wearing the same sunglasses sadly the same suits I weigh about the same and I don't mind a bit of Italian cake and everyone was uproariously laughing at him and he said you know I'm not pretending to be anyone else and when you're prime minister you can't pretend to be anyone else you've got to know who you are because if you don't know who you are then how are other people going to know I just think it sent 
my piece this week was that it sent such a bad message to men around Australia and particularly, you know, the the milieu of men who probably are supporting Scott Morrison, you know, those that are aged between over 55 and white and probably, you know, have a pretty unhealthy lifestyle at the moment and an unhealthy diet. And we know that that culture exists in Australia, you know, where where men kind of are a bit cavalier about their health and especially of that generation, you know, that, that they're eating too much red meat, that they're drinking too much, they're often smoking, you know, they're living a more sedentary lifestyle. And how damaging is it to have the leader of the country stand up there and say, this guy is doing something wrong, he's doing something that makes him look disingenuous because he's he's looking after his health. I thought that it was more sinister. I, I clearly know that it's a, an election tactic and he thinks that it's going to play well with that cohort of the electorate, which it, it obviously did given the response that he received at Paul Murray Live. But, like, I think it shows what he's willing to sink to as a leader as well. What did you make of it? Yeah, well, I was sort of thinking about it in the context of the past couple of weeks. So we've seen some pretty high-profile Australians actually die due to heart-related issues. Uh, Shane Warne is one and also the Senator Kimberly Kitching um, sadly passed away. And, you know, that sort of has brought this discussion of, you know, heart health to into the national conversation a little bit. And I just think that was such a juxtaposition from Scott Morrison to sort of write it off as though health healthy lifestyles aren't important when they really are. Yeah, yeah. And also the fact that a lot of things pointed to the hypocrisy in his statement this week. I know Sam Maiden wrote a piece about how the Prime Minister has himself actually gone on a health kick um, and is trying to alert journalists to the fact that he's gone on a health kick and is now drinking man shakes apparently. Um, so it's inauthentic from that point of view as well. But also, you know, his foray into being a hairdresser or mopping floors or whatever else, you know, he's he's trying to pretend like he is this absolute kind of sincere human who is always who he is. And it's just not the case. Politicians have to kind of run this race as well, right? Like we know that Albanese probably did get advice that if he lost weight, it would make him look more prime ministerial. That's probably fact. But at the end of the day, like you you just can't claim that you are this this person when you have shown to the country for three years now that you're anything but. Yeah, I think we've all seen that Scott Morrison does have a problem when it comes to authenticity and showing who he really is because he does always put on a different persona depending on what situation he's being in. So I just think he really has no right to talk about whether Anthony Albanese is being himself or not by deciding to live a little bit more healthily. Yeah, 100%. On to, I mentioned just, you know, the lack of attention on floods earlier and, um, you know, how disappointing that is that that's not where the Prime Minister's attention is lying at the moment. Um, but it certainly is where a Liberal MP's attention is lying this week. New South Wales Liberal MP Catherine Cusack has announced that she will be resigning 
um, shortly. And the reason she is resigning is that she is also incredibly disillusioned with how the government has responded to flood victims. Mads, can you take us through that because you wrote the piece today? Yeah, sure. So Catherine Cusack has said that she's been outraged by how the funds have been allocated to flood victims, um, particularly in the Northern Rivers region of Northern New South Wales. Um, And she specifically made the point that people who lived in the Nationals held seat of Page were given much more assistance um, than areas nearby in the Labor held seat of Richmond. So that was areas like Ballina, Byron, and Tweed Heads, and they were in the Labor Richmond seat, and they've missed out on the federal government's additional disaster relief payments, despite, you know, suffering a lot of devastation and destruction. And they, you know, they are also in severe need of relief. And she said, actually, that it's the most unethical thing she's ever seen in politics. I was beyond words when I heard that this week. Having I'm living up in this region, so I live in Pottsville, which is between Byron and Tweed, um, and it is in the Richmond electorate. But my partner works out at Lismore, which has obviously been devastated, and they will be receiving those additional funds, I believe. But somewhere like Mawillamba, which is in the Richmond electorate, has also been absolutely obliterated. The damage that it has been done to that town, and it's, you know, a relatively big town, is colossal. And for them to know that they're not going to be helped out in the same way, I think it is the most immoral call that you could make. And for anyone looking, you know that it's politicised. It is absolutely because those seats lie where they lie. But how can we look at disaster relief like that? You know, we have people that are suffering so badly at the moment, people whose lives have just been ripped apart and our government continues to sit on its hands and and play everything just to to win an election and not actually to show leadership or, um, or any real meaningful support. Yeah, and I do just really respect Catherine Cusack for her move there. And, you know, it takes a lot to sort of stand up to your own party in that way. And she just said that she can't defend it anymore. And I think that there might be more people that step aside and do the same thing. You have to imagine that there are so many people in the LNP right now that are watching this and watching how the government's leading on this and and just despairing because they do come from a good place and they do want to see these electorates protected and people protected and it's just not the mo of those at the top at the moment and it is it's a real it's a real issue but yeah look she showed i think tremendous courage in in making that decision and and really coming out so staunchly about it today saying it was one of the biggest outrages that she's ever seen and who knows what will will happen and if they'll backflip on that I actually think they probably will because that's what (laughs) that's what Morrison always does right he waits until like he's got enough people up his ass about it um and enough kind of there's too much heat in the kitchen and then he acts on it but how nice would it be if we just had someone who would actually get shit done from the outset you know that's all people are asking for at this point Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, Mads, one last story that I want to kind of look at this week and it is a little bit of a change of pace because as we see some female members of the government step aside, like Catherine Cusack, we're actually seeing a whole kind of, well, a potential influx of independent women um, coming to the fore and, and challenging at the next election. And you spoke to Dr Monique Ryan who really could cause, I think, the biggest upset for the government at the next election because she's taking on Josh Frydenberg in Kuyong. Yeah, she is. So I was uh, lucky enough to get to chat to her uh, a couple of days ago for a profile piece on that we wrote on Women's Agenda and she kind of told me that she really, really loved the job that she was doing um, as a doctor. She was the head of the neurology department at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. And when she was talking about that job and what it means to have to give that up to do this, she was quite emotional about it, talking about how much she loved her job and that she knew she was really good at it and she was doing important work. She was running really groundbreaking research programs. She was managing a budget of over $3 million every year and a team of 50 people uh, and, you know, really helping the lives of children and families. And she was talking about, you know, what prompted her to give all of that up, a career that she really, really loved to run for politics. And she basically said it came down to climate change and that she just couldn't live with herself if she didn't do whatever she could to try and, you know, hold the government to account on what they're doing in the climate space or what they're not doing. And she spoke specifically about how her children have been really anxious about climate change, particularly her youngest, her 13-year-old, and that she really just felt a responsibility to put her hand up. And she really might get there because I think she mentioned to you that polling in in Kuyong um, has shown that they have, you know, significant support behind them. Yeah, she said um, they've seen some polling which is looking pretty promising and it sounds like there's an incredible campaign on the ground. She said there's about 1,300 local people signed up as volunteers already. Her claw flutes and T-shirts are everywhere. She said she can't take her dog down for a walk at the park without seeing someone in one of her T-shirts. And I think it sort of contrasts a little bit to how Frydenberg is approaching this campaign because he's basically just been buying up ad space um, on massive billboards in, you know, on main roads in the area. And I think that's a real contrast to like the community sort of spirit of her campaign. And then, yeah, so I think there's, you know, I think people in the electorate are probably seeing that juxtaposition and thinking about what it means. And she kind of did mention that a lot of people in Kuyong are sort of seeing through Josh Frydenberg a little bit and that they kind of are realising that he's really ambitious for his own career and he probably has a goal of becoming Prime Minister one day. And, you know, in that process, he's sort of compromising things in his own electorate and it's he's not really delivering what the people are asking him to. So that's kind of what she was talking about. Yeah, yeah. And what do you make of the other, I mean, I know in recent weeks we've spoken to a number of other independent candidates um, and we'll be covering, you know, a lot more in, in the coming weeks. I know we've got 
Joe Dyer coming up um, potentially on the Women's Gender podcast in the next couple of weeks too. Um, but what what's your take on it? Do you think that there is going to be a mass upset from independence? I think there is every chance that there could be. Like it's really hard to tell, and you never know. But I think there's just something about the community spirit in a lot of these campaigns that can't be overlooked. Like this hasn't really happened in politics. Like what sort of candidate gets 1,300 people before an election is even called to volunteer on the ground on their campaign? Like that doesn't happen to either major party. And I think there's something really special about that. And I do see that happening in electorates, you know, in Sydney and Melbourne, but also regional Australia, there's a few as well. And yeah, it's hard to tell, but you never know what could happen. And I think there are some really, really good, high quality candidates. Yeah, 100%. And I think it is the best thing in the world for the government and well, for both major parties to have a, a kind of stick up them a little bit because they have been so complacent for too long and people are sick of it because they haven't they've been doing nothing on issues that people really care about particularly climate change I think you know that's that's an issue that so many of these independents are leading on um, because the inertia from both parties on climate change for nearly 20 years now um, is inexcusable and if we carry on, you know, especially under this government, it's going to potentially get worse, I think. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Dr. Ryan was saying as well, that she has some really great skills that she can bring to, you know, the crossbench in Parliament. She says she's really used to working in high-pressured environments. Her job her job every day is to consult with people and to collaborate and to negotiate. And she said she's really confident in being able to use all of those skills on the crossbench to be able to work with either party, whoever forms government. And I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, no doubt she's got, you know, a lot of empathy as well, which is sorely lacking across the board um, at the moment in, in our kind of parliament structure. So that is really exciting to see and good luck to her. Um, I really loved that interview. So, Mads, I think we might call that a wrap for today because we've covered a lot, but just a reminder to everyone listening that you can access all of our news on womensagenda.com.au or get our newsletter in your inbox at lunchtime every day. Thanks for listening.